Christmas. I love it. It's a great time of the year. Always love Christmas, even when I was very young. Just love all the Christmas presents and trees and lights and uh, all the fun that goes with it all. And uh, I want to share with you something about the true meaning of Christmas. It's very easy to get lost in it all. You know, everyone gets so busy and they're caught up with all the natural things. They're caught up with the shopping and busyness and, and nothing's really changed as we'll see in the early Christmas, the first time when God uh, began to work in this way into the earth. We'll see exactly then. It was full of commercialism then. So there's nothing new. People are still the same. But there's something I want to share with you about Christmas. It's going to be a blessing. I want us just to open our Bibles. We're going to look in Luke, in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Christmas is the celebration of the Christ. It is the celebration of God's anointed one coming into the earth. Let's not get caught up with little sentimental pictures of a baby in a manger with animals around. It is much, much more than that. Man, I was raised in all that sentimentality. I like it all, but boy, you've got to see way past that and see what God was wanting to do and see the tremendous meaning for us as believers. You can celebrate Christmas or not celebrate Christmas, that's a choice. Original Christmas, of course, was a pagan festival. And uh, the, what the Christians did was they just decided to celebrate Jesus' birth. About the same time, everyone else is celebrating, we might as well make something of it. But it's to me a time of family, celebration, time of giving, time of many things. But for us, we need to remember what God promised to do and what he undertook to do and what he began to do on that day. So in Matthew 1 verse 23, it says, They shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Christmas is a time of supernatural visitation when God came to be with man. Let's never get caught up in all the natural things that you lose what is the core of Christmas. It is supernatural. It's about God coming to man. And nothing has changed. It's still about God coming to man. We don't need to celebrate it one day. We can celebrate it every day. I want you to read with me in Luke chapter 2. And let's have a look at a few verses here. We want to just pick out of the story of Jesus' birth. Verse 9. Now, lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. This is the shepherds. And it says, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were very afraid. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. It's all very well for him to say that, eh? And see an angel there in front of him. They got scared. Most time when God came to people and they saw what he was like, they got scared. Sounds helpful to remember that, isn't it? See, we like to have a Jesus that's very meek and mild and non-offensive, non-politically correct. But actually, that's not what he's like at all. As we'll see here, it says, it says, Behold, I bring you good tidings, a great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now, I want you to just take a note of that verse. We're going to go back into that verse because around that hinges what this is all about. And this shall be a sign to you. You shall find the babe wrapped in a swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace and goodwill to man. Let's not just get sentimental. We need to get focused on the true meaning of Christmas. I want to share with you some aspects of it. Notice what they said. This shall be a sign to you. Uh, there shall be a, he said, you shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Of course, a sign points you to something. So people who don't know about the meaning of Christmas, look and they focus around the sign. But I've never yet stood around a sign admiring how great the sign was. Signs always point to something, and it's what it points to that's really important. 
You can see a sign there pointing to Napier. You don't stand around the sign admiring the great sign. You follow and go where the sign points. And so we say, hey, you'll find a sign. This will be a sign. What is the sign? The sign points to something supernatural that God is doing in that day and also is doing today. And what, what God wanted them to see was not just the babe in the manger, but to see that actually God was fulfilling something that dated back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And when they saw that babe in the manger, it was a sign to point to them something dramatic that God had promised and now he was about to fulfill. I want to share with you five things about the message of Christmas. Number one, it's a message of hope and it's a message of joy. It's a message of hope and joy. Notice what the angel said. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Good tidings, that word good tidings literally means the word, today I'm evangelizing you. It's the same word evangelize. Today I've got a message that's positive, a message to give you hope about your future, a message that will fill you with great joy. So the angel's saying, this is a message of hope, something that can make you look forward that the future's going to be positive, the future will be better than it's ever been. You can be a person that lives with hope about the future. You can be a person that can be filled with joy. You know, this message that he was about to talk about was first of all promised to Adam in Genesis 3. Joy uh, was speaking a little bit about that. God promised to Adam when sin entered the world, God promised one day there would be a savior. He made him a promise that out of the seed of the woman, the seed of the woman would arise and would crush the devil. And so a promise was made literally hundreds upon hundreds of years ago that in spite of man sinning, in spite of man falling away from God, in spite of man uh, losing his place on authority that God had given him, in spite of all of that, God says, I'm not abandoning you. I got something you can hope for and every generation can hope for. So God gave him a verbal promise. One day, a savior. One day, the world will be changed. Secondly... There's three things that God gave. One, he gave him a verbal promise. Here's the second thing. Now, some of you, of course, are aware of the various constellations, the signs of the zodiac, because you hear that kind of thing and immediately get turned off. But when you read in Psalm 19, it says, the heavens declare your glory. And then in the middle of the psalm, it turns over, begins to talk about the word of God and the servant of the Lord. So in order to provide a way, provide a way of remembering the message of hope, God devised a very cunning, very clever way. The various areas of the stars, because the Bible says God made the stars for signs to point to something. Not just to give light at night, but to point to something. They're a sign. Some of you may have uh, seen at some stage that the, uh, sky, the sky is divided up into 12 constellations. Each constellation has a name, and there's the names of the different stars. The Bible tells us God named every one of the stars. And he didn't sort of name them, that's a blue one, and that's a yellow one, and that's a this. God gave them names with meaning. However, in the course of time, what God intended to give hope to man was totally corrupted. What God did through the 12 constellations was to give man an outline of the plan of salvation, beginning at Virgo, the virgin. Virgo, the virgin, ending with Leo, the lion. 
And uh, let me just, I just uh, looked this up. I was looking at it because this is a whole message in itself. But let me just give you the meanings of some of these things, just a couple of them, just so you can see that, that God has, has purpose and he gave in three ways, a way that we could understand and have a, a hope for the future. Here's the verse one was a verbal record. Now, let me do The Virgo means the virgin or literally a prophecy concerning a promised seed. So when they looked up at the constellations, generation after generation would go out and they'd be looking, they camped outside, they lived outside, they'd look up at the stars, see that there Virgo? God's promise that through the woman will come a promised seed. Now every one of the stars in the constellations got a name. Let me give you a couple of three names out of Virgo. Number one is coma, meaning literally the desired one. So when they looked at that constellation, see the desired one will come. Here's another one in that constellation, Centaurus. Two, literally two natures, he will also be, he'll be despised one. Desired one of the nations also will be the despised one of the nations. The third one is a, a star called Butes, meaning the coming one with the branch who will rule. Now, you see, when, in those generations, they understood that these were not uh, in astrology stuff. This was all about actually God telling them. This is a way you can remember and pass from generation to generation that there is a virgin will bring forth a promised seed. He will be both the desired one of nations and he'll be the despised one, and he is destined to rule. So they would share that story with their children. And they go through all the 12 constellations. They'd end up with the one Leo. This is what Leo means. Leo means literally the lion, or it refers to the triumph of the Messiah, the coming one. In that constellation, there's a number of stars. Here's three of them. Hydra, the serpent destroyed. Here's another one. Uh, crater, meaning the cup of wrath poured out upon the serpent. Here's another one. Corvus, the birds of prey devouring the serpent in the sea. What an amazing thing. So historically, God spoke to Adam. Then he created a way that from generation to generation, they could lay out the whole story of God's redemptive plan and see it night after night and tell it to the next generation. One day, there's a coming seed. One day, there's a virgin will bring forth. One day, there's a promised seed. He will be desired. He'll also be despised, but one day he will come to rule. So generation after generation, as they went out and lived out there and saw the stuff, They'd be able to talk about the promise, the hope of one day a Savior. Then God began to uh, record in written word the same plan. So when you read through the Bible, the dealings of God with the patriarchs, you get the same plan. God speaking over and over and over, there is a coming day, there's a coming seed. Right through the Bible, it's speaking of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Even Isaiah prophesies it, a virgin will give birth. So right through both verbal, through the stars, and through the written word of God, there is a statement of hope that one day a Messiah would come. You understand when the angel said, uh, this is the sign, a child in a manger, he's not referring just to the child in the manger. This is a sign, this is the day when God will honor the promise he made centuries ago. What an amazing thing. So this is why it's a time of joy and celebration, time of great joy for all men, great joy for all people. It's a day when God's word is shown to be true. And so these men were privileged to be able to see it. What an amazing thing. Amazing thing. Okay, here's the second thing I want to share. So number one, it's a message of hope and joy. Here's the second thing. It's a message of God. It's a message for all people. That's what he says. Good tidings and great joy, which shall be for all people. The gospel in Christianity is not a Western religion. It began with a Jew. It began with the Jew. Our roots go back to the Jewish nation. 
It's not something that began in the West. People say, oh, Christianity's a Western religion. Listen, Christianity's something that's for all people, all nations of the earth. There's no one exempted. This is for all peoples and all nations. Bible tells us very clearly in a number of places. In, first of all, in Genesis 12, verse 3, God made a promise to uh, Abraham. And this is what he said. He said, in your seed will all families of the earth be blessed. God is a global God. Let's never get so parochial, we forget that God is interested in every nation of the earth. In Matthew 28, he says, the gospel will go to every nation of the earth. Go make disciples of all nations. In Revelation chapter 5, it says, out of every tribe, every tongue, every language, every kindred, he has redeemed. He has purchased people unto himself to be a priest and a king under God. What a tremendous thing. God's plan has always involved every person. You see your neighbor, God's plan involves them. You see your workmate, God's plan involves them. We need to get in our heart. This is something for every person. It's not just something for a few. God wants every person to hear the good news. It's good news. You got good news to give to someone. And it's got new, not good news about a Santa. It's not good news about Christmas trees and presents. It's something supernatural. It's good news. God has come to earth. God has given a hope to mankind. It's good news. Listen, there was a, I don't know if any, any people saw the movie. Uh, it was in French. So maybe you didn't see it, but I saw it, called Joyous Noel. How many saw that one? It's based on a very true story. Only a handful of people saw it. Brilliant movie. But basically, it's based on a true story. It goes back to World War I when the Germans and the British are fighting in the trenches. And, of course, the trenches are no more than about from here to, uh, to the end of the uh, room there. They're, they're about right down there at the back. You could just about see the whites of the eyes of the people. And, of course, there's this conflict going on, and it's been going on and waging backwards and forwards with people shooting and shelling and all kinds of things, tremendous horrors of war and conflict. And then there's a particular Christmas, and everyone's the, the, the hostilities have quietened down. There's no one shooting at one another. And in the midst of it all, some of the Germans began to sing. They began to sing Silent Light. Others began to join in. And so across that battlefield where there were the bodies of men who were slain and people were in a place of conflict, something happened that was amazing and unusual. The British began to join in the same song. And then finally, they started to stand up. Now, you don't stand up when you're in the trenches. You get shot the moment you stand up. They stood up and they put down their weapons and they crossed into the no man's land. And they began to shake one another's hands. And they played a game of soccer. The whole game went on for hours. The officers began to talk with one another, treated one another with respect. And it was like in the middle of the conflict, something of God came into the earth. And they forgot their war and their fighting. And they began to just treat one another as human beings. What an amazing, actually a miraculous thing of God. Of course, then when the time of the singing the game all finished they all went back to their trenches and then they carried on with the war next day the war's on again you know what the British army was so disturbed by that they totally disbanded the whole unit took them all out of the front line disbanded them broke them up so no one could talk about what had happened on the battlefield that night because they had something supernatural had happened joy and hope had come to mankind Amazing, isn't it? Just amazing. It's a tremendously powerful story. Amazing. It's a true story. True story. See, so it's a message for all people. A message for every person. 
It's nothing to do with your color. I've seen people in India weep as the Spirit of God touched their life. I've seen their, their eyes and their countenance lighten. And you could tell the difference physically and tangibly because hope and life had come to them. I've seen people in Asia. I've seen people in Borneo. I've seen people in America. I've seen people all over the world. And the light comes on when Christ comes in, when they experience the supernatural, the message that God brought to us at Christmas, the first Christmas. Amen? Fantastic. I want to share with you a couple of other things. Notice in Luke chapter 10. Let's go back there again. Here's the third thing. The message of Christmas is a message of our need for a Savior. Notice what it said. This is what he said. Today is born, verse 11, in city of David, a Savior. Today is born a Savior. Now listen, you've got to understand this. Christmas creates an offense when you understand the true meaning of Christmas. The first message of the angel was this. Yeah, well, this is great. You know, let's rejoice. This is great news. For today is born in the city of David a Savior. Now, when you tell people they need a Savior, this is an offense. I, I was interested because a lot of people around here trying to all that politically correct. load of nonsense. It's an absolute load of secular nonsense that reduces the power of the gospel. Whatever we do, we want to be bold in. I was in Malaysia there. Christians, uh, there's, there's Hindus, there's Muslims, and there's Christians. And you know what the Christians do at Christmas time? They just got the music pumped up. They got the lights up everywhere. No one's ashamed. It's all out there. There's none of this politically correct stuff there. This is something that's in the West to silence our boldness to speak a message. Men need a savior. Men need a savior. Men need a savior. That's what the message of Christmas is. Men need a savior. Romans 3.23, all have sinned. All, 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 all have sinned. No exceptions. No exceptions. We tend to think of sin. We tend to think of people who have done really bad things like crimes and murder and, and drunk, all kinds of stuff. But actually, sin is just abandoning God and running life by ourselves. That is sin. Going our own way, living life our own way. All have sinned and fallen short or come inferior of the glory and the life that God intended for us to have. All. All, without exception, here in this room, have sinned. All, without exception in our nation, have sinned. It is an affront and offense to people when you tell them, all have sinned, you have sinned. Say, but I'm a good person. Well, listen, all over the world, people try and think that their goodness will get them to heaven. Their goodness will get them right with God. Religion is all about working hard, trying to do something that will earn your points with God, get you into heaven somehow. And so when you talk to people who don't know that they need a Savior, and you ask them this question, how do you get to heaven? Well, by living a good life. Listen, you do not get into heaven. You do not get saved that way. You get saved when you acknowledge your need for a Savior and acknowledge the one Jesus sent as a Savior. His name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means Savior, the one who rescues you. That means you need rescuing, which means you're in a situation or position you can't get yourself out of. Now, we don't like that. That's what the offense is. See, it's an offense to think that I can't get myself out of the situation because we're very strong self-help people. We all like to be able to do what we can. And, and it's right, we need to do all we can, need to be responsible. But when it comes to this issue of the power of sin, the Bible says sin, the wages of sin is death. Death, 
We are separated from God. There's something wrong in us. It's called sin. The education department will call it all other things. The bottom line is, it's sin. It is something that separates us from God. It's an inbred rebellion. No God is going to rule my life. I'll run my life my way. That's what sin is. It manifests in all kinds of forms, but that's what the core of it is. No God, I'm going to run my life my way. I'll be in charge. And so the Bible says, men need a savior. Jesus came. He's called Jesus. He will save. He will rescue. He will deliver. He will heal. There are all manners of areas of our life where we need the savior. We need him, first of all, to save us from the power of sin and its, its grip in our life that causes us to be selfish and, and malfunction consistently. We need someone who will do what we can't, get us up, break the power of sin, and empower us to live a different life. We need a Savior. Men need a Savior. The world needs a Savior. It doesn't need a lot more education. It doesn't need a lot more technology. It's got heaps of that, and it still needs a Savior. It still needs a Savior. You have a look at what's been happening in the West the last few years and decades, and you see the growth of technology, the growth of wealth, growth of education. Men still need a Savior. And it's an offense when you tell a person that. It's not just to save us from our sins, but there's many areas that God needs to save us. We are wonderful at trying to save ourselves. People have been hurt in relationships. We cover the pain and try and save ourselves instead of submitting to God's way and to his presence to help us. I saw one young woman I just prayed for recently, and she had been brokenhearted and in terrible distress, and something had happened early in her life. And, and she tried to save herself from the pain of it. And in doing so, just prolonged the pain. See, what you need is to abandon saving yourself and let Jesus have room to come and save you. And she had a supernatural encounter and her life was transformed. A change. We need a savior. It's an offense. Friend, the gospel is a great offense. Make no mistake about it. Don't you try and be politically correct. The gospel is an affront. Because it calls me to acknowledge, I actually can't make it on my own. I need a savior. And that's the message of the God. That's what the angel said. Under, under, you know, this day, a savior. This day, a savior. We need a savior. We need someone to save us. We need someone to save us. Well, I don't want someone to save me. I want to, get my, I want to get to heaven on my own. I want to run my life my own way. No, you need a savior. Because the wages of your sin separate you from God, separate you from his life, stop you accessing what God has called you to be and to do. You're, just, you're missing out on the very best. It can only happen as you come to a savior. Amazing, isn't it, really? Uh, talk spoke to a rich man, had everything in the world. In another nation there, got every dollar you could think of, only a multimillionaire, and yet one thing missing. He needed a savior. He said, well, I don't seem to need anything much. My friends don't need to go to church. They don't need anything much. I said, well, he said, I said to him, there are a lot of people who go to church because they recognize their need. I said, you've got one thing you need, and you don't have it. None of your money can buy it. And, and he didn't know what it was. I said, you don't have a purpose for your life. You don't understand why God put you on the earth and what he's called you to do with your life. So it is empty and full of fear. And he had to acknowledge it was. He had to acknowledge it was. He said, only God who created you can give you a purpose for your life, and for that you need to acknowledge a need for a Savior. Come on, people need a Savior. Let's not be ashamed of our people need a Savior. As you call his name, 
Jesus. Ha! Every time you say the name Jesus, the one who saves. Are you in trouble? He's the one who saves. You need deliverance from oppression? He's the one who delivers. You need healing? He's your deliverer. He's your healer. You've got to come to him. It's him. It's not about just doing all the right things. It's actually a person that God sent into the earth. That's the most wonderful thing. People would do anything but acknowledge, I need a person to give me a hand. That's really what it's about. See, being saved is acknowledging our need for it and then acknowledging the one, the one that God sent, the one. Acts 4 and verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. you, You think there's another way? Listen, don't you become, don't you lose your boldness thinking there's another way. There ain't another way. There was another way Jesus would never have had to die on the cross. There is only one way to deal with the issue of sin. Listen, you get to any religion and ask them, how do you deal with the issue of sin? Because I know how we deal with it. We have a Savior who actually took our place and did the work, and we have to trust him. He said, but you'll find for them, they'll have to work. They'll have to work. They'll have to do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. It's all about the work. Friend, it's absolutely certain there is no other way. 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 Men are lost without Jesus. They are lost for eternity without him. There is no other way. No other way. No other way. There's no second plan. There's no plan B. Only one way. Jesus said, I'm that way. Friend, you need to know it, need to acknowledge it, and be very, very bold. There is only one way. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus the Savior. Come on, let's give him a clap. He's an awesome Savior. Yes. How? We need that Savior. <laughs> Look what it says here next. It says, uh, in verse 11 again, it says, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Now notice what he called him, which is Christ. See? So the message of Christmas is a message of supernatural possibilities. Jesus, or the Savior, the Christ, the anointed one, the one the Holy Ghost came on, the one the power of God was in it. Listen, this is no ordinary religion. This is about God being in a man, God being on a man, making him the Christ, the anointed one of God. And he demonstrated it. He said, the anointing on me is for a purpose. It's to preach the gospel, heal the sick, deliver those oppressed, heal the brokenhearted, open the eyes of the blind. The power of God is for a purpose. Friend, the Holy Ghost teaches us through this, that the true message of Christmas is a message of supernatural possibilities. Oh, glory to God. See, you've got to realize that religion hates the anointing, hates supernatural. It wants to explain it, wants to reason it. But how can you reason a man born blind, his eyes are opened? How can you reason that? There isn't any reasoning. It offends your reasoning. See, how can, I prayed for this girl, deaf since birth, her both ears open up. How can you explain that? You can't explain that. You can't explain it, except you say, there's a power of God that's come supernaturally. It's greater than this sickness. Oh, hallelujah. There's another one we prayed for. Had a tumor in her brain, lost her sight. God not only gave her back her sight, took the tumor out. How do you explain that? Well, you can't explain it. It's a miracle. It's supernatural. Friend, Christianity is supernatural. And if you're lacking the supernatural, you're missing what God came. Jesus, the Christ, the anointed, the anointed. Friend, the devil hates the anointing. It is God working on a man that brings changes in the earth. You need God working on you. Listen, in Acts, I think around about chapter 4, it tells us, Acts chapter 2 says, This 
promise of the Holy Ghost that was upon Jesus is for you, for your children, for everyone who's afar off. Listen, God's plan started with Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, and it, it fulfilled with a whole body of people anointed called the body of Christ, called those people who carry the Christos, the anointing of God in their life. It is important and vital for God's plan to succeed. You carry tangible presence in life of God in you. That's why we teach you to get praying. That's why you walk in holiness. That's why you have commitments you keep in your life. That's why you're in the Word of God. Why? Because you need God's power flowing through you. We're called not to live an ordinary life. We're called to live a supernatural life. A life full of supernatural possibilities. You pray for people and something happens to them. You share with them, they begin to weep. They don't even know why they're weeping. But it's the supernatural. Heaven is beginning to invade earth through you. Now you're called to that. See, this is what makes Christmas so wonderful for me. It's not the baby. It's not the manger. It's not all this stuff. It's this. God sent Jesus the Christ, the anointed one. Hallelujah. It's full of supernatural possibilities. Man, any, any, any Christianity ain't got the supernatural is missing the vital ingredient. But to get the supernatural, then you've got to really actually embrace this next thing. It says, he's called Jesus He says, uh, here it is, verse 11. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Men need a Savior, which is Christ, the anointed one, the Lord. The Christmas message is a message of the need for change. Listen to what they said Jesus is. He's not just a good man. He's not just a prophet. Who is he? He is the Savior. He's the anointed. And he is the Lord. That means supreme authority. That means the one with the right to rule. That means the one who we acknowledge as king over a kingdom. Listen, if we're going to walk in the anointing, if we're going to walk and receive and fulfill what God intends, we have to recognize and come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. See, a lot of people think you have a little bit of Jesus, just enough to get you out of heaven. Listen, that's not God's plan. God's plan is a plan of good news. It's a good news of your life getting changed. It's a good news of someone else. Instead of the devil and sin ruling over you, it's a good news of you coming into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, having the anointing of God over your life, and beginning to start to do things. Do what God has called you to do. Notice what Jesus said. Matthew 4, verse 17. We're just about finished now. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. If we want to see the life of God flow, if we want to see God's order established through us, Repent, change is a vital part of that. When God put his spirit on you, it's to change you. It's to change. What needs to be changed? I need to change in my thoughts. So I think differently. I need to change in my values. What I value is different. I need to change. See, what was important to me before I became a Christian is no longer important at all. And people I thought were important in my life, I found they're not so important. I got other ones far more important now. See, change. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven or the rule of Christ, the blessings of God are available for you, but you've got to change in the way you think and activate and live your life. Without that, we don't receive what God has. Change is what positions us for the thing God has for us. I wonder if you're willing to change. Last week we shared that message. You've gone around this mountain long enough time for change. Here today, again, same thing. Message of Christmas is a message of change. Interesting thing about Jesus, 
is now I mean we all we all think of Christians you think oh well you know peace on earth and goodwill to all men it's wonderful but actually we miss out that Jesus came to bring division he actually came to create a standard so you would see where you are and could make a choice so everywhere Jesus went people got in a turmoil some welcomed him others fought against him many wanted to kill him eventually did until he rose from the dead and showed you can't even kill him amazing See, friend, wherever you go, Jesus brings division. Why? Why does he do that? Why is it? Because what he wants us to do, he wants us to be separated from the things that harm us and to come into the things which are a part of our life, our destiny, God's blessing for us. That's why the moment he begins to speak to you, you'll immediately face the challenge of choice. He'll talk to you about, are you willing to change? If you change, you position yourself for blessing. If you stay where you are, you harden yourself. It just gets worse. See, so everywhere Jesus went, you know, even, in the, even when he was born, they, they killed all the children about his age. It shows you the animosity there is in the world, and it's not about Christianity. It's about the person of Jesus, the anointed one who carried the life of God. You start to carry the anointing, you'll face the same things. When we begin to make stands more strongly about what is right, what is wrong, immediately you'll feel the reaction. When you point to someone, well, you know, say, well, we're just living together. You begin to point out, well, you know, that's sin, that's fornication. Actually, that was going to create problems that will last you a lifetime if you don't get God to help you. It's an offense, it's an affront. It's times to speak that straight, times to speak a little differently. You've got to learn how to hear God and do it the way he wants. But make no mistake about it, Christianity divides. Because it calls men to either say yes to a saviour or to reject him. One way or the other, you position yourself for the blessings of God or other things which are far more painful. Listen, this is what it says. It says very clearly, unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour, Christ the Lord. How will you respond to him? How will you respond to him? There are two kinds of responses. The innkeeper said, sorry, no room for you. A lot of people, there'll be no room for the real Jesus this Christmas. Until you talk to them and share what the real Jesus is like. Others said, let us go and let us see this great thing God is doing and be part of it. You and I got to make that same choice. As soon as you hear the message of Christmas, you're faced with a choice. Well, I say, there's no more room for Jesus in my life. No more room for his way. No more. Uh, no more. No more. I got a little bit. I don't want any more. Well, we say, I'm going to go and be part of all God wants. Let's just bow our heads right now. Father, we just thank you. We thank you today. We thank you live in a free country where we can celebrate and rejoice and come together like this. We thank you for your wonderful goodness and gift to us. And we thank you, Lord, that 2,000 years ago, heaven came into earth. Emmanuel, God with us. And Lord, today, you're still with us by your spirit. You're still with us, challenging us, calling us, empowering us to come into relationship and live a life that honors you and is a blessing to the community, to our families, loved ones, and everyone around us. Lord, we say yes to that. We say yes to that. Listen, while our eyes are closed and heads about, I wonder if there's any person here and you don't know, know Jesus Christ yet, you've never, ever, perhaps this is the first time you heard a gospel message that Jesus came into the earth to die on the cross for your sin so you could be forgiven and have a relationship with God begin to walk in the way God wants you to. Perhaps it's the first time you even become aware that you're in sin. You thought, basically, I'm a pretty good person. 
today you realize, man, actually, not that good. Not that good. How good is good enough, you know. I tell you how it can be good enough. You just receive Jesus Christ. I wonder if there's any person here today at that point that says, I want to receive Jesus. I want to receive God's gift. I want to receive Jesus, the Savior, because I need saving. I want to receive Jesus, the Christ, the only anointed one of God, approved of God. I want to receive Jesus Christ, the Lord. I want to face him now rather than have to face him in eternity. I want to face him now. Is there any person here today ready to become a Christian? Why don't you just put your hand up quickly and down just so I can see it. Just say, yes, that's me. I'm right at that point. I need to make a decision, a decision to receive Jesus. Anyone here? Just quickly put your hand up and down. Put your hand up and down. God bless. Anyone else? I want us just to follow me in this prayer. This is You may not want to pray this prayer, but let me explain what we're going to do. I just want to lead you in a prayer, a very simple prayer. Prayer is just talking to God. And God will hear when we pray from our heart. We're going to pray what's called the sinner's prayer. The person of a prayer. A prayer of a person who recognizes their need for Jesus. I'd like you to join me in that prayer and pray it out. Speak words out to God. And God will hear from heaven and touch your life. Could you all follow me in this prayer right now? Father in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name. I thank you for loving me. I thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sins. Today, Lord, I turn away from sin, away from a life without you. I turn to Jesus. Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. I ask you to forgive me and make me clean. Give me a fresh start. And I'm trusting you to do it. I give you my life today. I receive your spirit into my heart. I thank you today is the beginning of a new start. Amen. Praise the Lord. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, why don't you come up and talk with me about it afterwards and we'll just give you a little booklet and a bit of information how to continue to walk with God. Isn't that fantastic for the rest of us? God's speaking about change. Let's give Jesus a great clap, shall we?